Good morning. Man, it's good to see you all. Um, welcome to Mission Point. If you're here for the first time, as Matt said a little bit ago, we're so thrilled that you uh, joined us this um, morning. And you picked a great morning. Welcome to Tailgate Sunday um, at Mission Point. I hope you have no plans to go anywhere after lunch other than to head over to um, the eating area. If you've got lunch plans, cancel them. Pull out your phone right now. Tell them you're sorry or tell them to meet you here uh, for some good food, some good cooking, uh, to meet some people and lean on each other. What an awesome, um, awesome thing uh, we just experienced together. It's Connection Month too, so it's a great opportunity to get yourself some people uh, who you can lean on. And so, by the way, thank you for those of you who are taking courageous steps to connect Um, to embrace the reality that God did not call us, invite us to walk alone. He didn't call us to wrestle alone. He didn't call us to struggle alone. He called us to do that in connection, in community. And so we look forward to connecting with those of you who've reached out about being connected. And uh, there's still so much opportunity. Uh, If you have any questions or you want to connect, uh, head to the Connection Corner. just really aptly named, um, right after the service, and we'll be happy to answer any questions that you might have. Um, We are continuing a series that we are calling Decisions, Decisions. This is a series of conversations around the idea of the will of God, and um, we are in week number three as we continue to wrestle together through this idea. And by the will of God, we're not talking about anything too complicated. Uh, the will of God is simply talking about what God wants to have and what God wants to have happen. That's the will of God. What God wants to have and what God wants to have happen. And uh, when we are speaking about the will of God, we are talking about that in three different categories most of the time. We're not saying these are the only three categories, uh, but we're saying these are the three primary categories in which we're speaking about what God wants to have and what God wants to have happen. And the three categories are God's sovereign will, God's moral will, and God's specific will. God's sovereign will... God's moral will and God's specific will. God's sovereign will is speaking about the things God wants to have and wants to have happen that he is going to have and he's going to have happen exactly the way he wants it, exactly when he wants it, and there's nothing anybody can do to stop it. He's going to get it done. God's moral will is speaking about the things God wants for everybody on planet earth to do, and he gives those to us in, in, by means of commands. Don't steal. Don't lie. Honor your parents. Forgive that person. Love your wife. Those are commands. That's God's moral will. And then God's specific will is speaking about the things that God wants to have or wants to have happen specifically in each of our lives. It's the idea that God has plans and God has paths and God has purposes that he has designed and desires for each of our lives that are different for all of us. They are not cookie cutter. They are not the same. And so what we've been wrestling through over the last number of weeks is the main question attached 
to this conversation. And the main question usually connects to that third category, God's specific will. And the question is simple. Does God really have a specific will for each of our lives? Does God really have custom-designed plans and paths for each of us to walk down? And one group will say, no, we don't think that's true. Uh, And last week, I shared the reasons why I believe the answer to that question is yes. God has specific plans and, and specific paths that he has custom designed for each of us to walk down. I believe that. I believe that to God it matters who you marry, if you get married. It matters what career path you take. It matters what major you choose. It matters to him where you live. I think it even matters to him what outfit you chose this morning. I think he even cares about what socks you opted to wear, if indeed you opted to wear socks. And so last week we took some time to talk about why we believe, or why at least I believe, that God does have a specific will for each of our lives. If you missed that, by the way, I'd invite you to go back and catch up on iTunes or or go catch up on our YouTube channel. Um, Yeah, just to get a sense of where we've gone together. This morning, uh, we want to spend some time answering the question, how? How? If God really has a specific path and a specific plan for my life, if God really cares about where I live and and who I marry and what career path I take and what I might or might not name my kids, if God really cares about those things, how are we supposed to find out what God's specific will for our lives is? Because I happen to not just believe that God has a specific will for each of our lives if we are his kids, but I believe that God wants us to know his specific will for our lives. In fact, God wants us to know his will for our lives more than we will ever want to know his specific will for our lives. I don't believe that God is keeping his will secret and hiding it from us in any regard whatsoever. God wants us to know because as we saw last week and as we saw the week before, if you were with us, understanding God's will is what allows us to make the most of these few and fleeting moments we have in this world. And it tells us that in Ephesians chapter 5. Um, And so this morning, we are going to kind of venture into having this conversation about how we know. And, uh, you know, we're going to have a number of verses up here on the screen. And if you want to try and follow along um, with your speedy app or in your copy of the scriptures, feel free to do that. But I, I do, I believe, and I think this is an important thing for us to establish as we move into the conversation. God wants you to know his will. Um, Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. Um, It says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And the reason I wanted us to look at that verse is just for us to, to state what I think is pretty obvious. If God is commanding us to understand his will, it means to me that he wants us to 
know his will. I don't know if anyone else got that or if that's just like a seminary overthink. I think it's pretty clear here. Um, Look at what it says in Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. It says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you, Paul says. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. The fact that Paul would make this a matter of persistent and pesky and pestering prayer must suggest that this is a prayer request that God loves and wants to answer. God wants us to know his will. And so the question is, if God really has a specific will for my life and is not keeping it a secret and it's not mystery and it's not decoding needed, then how do I know it? And if God wants me to know his will, why is it that so many of us are still stabbing in the dark, laboring to try to figure out what we should and should not do if God wants us to know his will? How do we get to know his will? specific will. Again, we're going to have a a conversational approach as we try and build around um, a few ideas, a few suggestions on how we might begin the journey to discovering God's specific will for our lives. Few suggestions. Number one, we've got to want his will. We've got to want his will. And I'm just asking, do you really want to know God's specific plan for your life? Do you really want to know God's will for your life? I know you say you do, and I know you're saying yes, you know, in the deepest recesses of your mind, but really, 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 though, do you really want to know God's will? Because I believe to know God's specific will for my life, I've got to want it. I've got to want to know his will. Um, I was in Cincinnati recently working at a tennis event um, not too many weeks ago. And um, while I was there, I lost my wallet for eight days. Um, so for eight days, I could not find my wallet. I had no earthly idea where that thing was. Now, I don't know if I've told you much about what being and working at these tennis events is like. I, yeah, I don't know if I sh- should, because, all right, all right, I will. Let me, let me tell you a little bit uh, what it's like. So here's what my life looks like when I'm at these events. Um, every morning, I will have a car come and pick me up from my hotel. I'll get a call, hey, uh, Mr. Sinfukwe, your ride is here. And then I'll come down and I'll walk out, and there'll be a chauffeur to take me from my hotel to the front entrance of one of these tennis events. I'll get out of my car, and I'll walk into the tennis facility. And especially if I have time, my first stop is I'll head to the dining area. And when I get to the dining area, I will be met by a chef. 
And this chef will ask me a glorious question. What can I make for you? And so I scratch my head. I'm like, I don't know what I feel like. Um, and then I'll just make something up. And he'll make it precisely the way I wanted it. And it is absolutely delicious. And so I'll sit there in the dining area for a little while, enjoy my food. You know, I'll say what's up to a couple of, you know, famous tennis superstars. I'll tell you some of their names, but if I told you their names, then it'll seem like I'm bragging. And what kind of pastor would that make me? But anyway, so, so I'll sit um, in, in the dining area and I'll eat. And when it even looks like I'm remotely about to wind down my meal, an army of people will come to my table and ask me if I'm finished. If I say yes, they will clear all of that junk and they'll take it off to some mysterious place that I don't care about. All I know is it's gone. And what I also know is I start to think this is how life works and then I come home. It's not really how life works. But anyway, um, so they'll carry this stuff off into Mysteryville. Then I'll head out and I'll do some things on the, the, the tennis court for uh, a couple of hours. And then I'll come back to the dining area because now it's lunchtime. And I just, I need your prayers because it gets really tough in those situations. Because, I mean, imagine how difficult this is. I will walk into the dining area at lunchtime, and lunchtime's a little bit different because now I'm standing and I have to decide. It's so hard. Um, pray for me. Now I have to decide, do I want to see the sushi chef? Do I want to talk to the pastor chef? Hmm, not a pastor day. Do I want to maybe perhaps talk to the smoothie specialist? Um, or, or do I want to talk to the steak grilling expert? It's so hard. I'm like, God, I want to know your will for my life with all of these um, all of these crazy options. But anyway, what was the point of the story? Yes, yeah, yeah. I lost my wallet for about eight days um, when I was there. And uh, on about the third day, I finally thought, you know, I should probably look for that sucker. And so I looked through a couple of pockets of my computer bag, and it wasn't there. So I was like, yeah, it'll turn up. Wallets show up. Um, a couple of days later, on the fifth day or so, I'm like, I should probably check my car. Because my car's been sitting in the parking lot, you know, all of this time. I don't need it. What for? You know, and so anyway, I decided, like, all right, I'll go. And so I walked over to my car, opened the door, and I checked in that crevasse. Can I say crack without, like, the, you know, student section cracking up? But anyway, so I checked, you know, that, that space between my car seat driver's seat, and that console. So I, I checked in there for about like 12 hard seconds, and uh, it wasn't there. So I'm like, whatever, wallets, you know, show up mysteriously after a while. And I'm just telling you, like my wallet was missing, and I didn't really care too much um, about it. And you know why? Because I didn't, I didn't need it. I, I really did it. I, I didn't need to put gas in my car. I didn't need to buy food. I didn't need my driver's license because I wasn't driving. Uh, so I was pretty set without it. I was great living under this umbrella of luxury for a few days until the final night I was there. Then all of a sudden, hints of reality started flooding through my mind. 
And I went into a panic mode, realizing I've got to figure this out really, 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 really quickly. Because tomorrow, I'm going to have to drive my car. And that might require me to put some gas. What would you, that might require some cash or a credit card. I'm going to have to start paying for my own food again. And so I went into a super frantic mode. And I started calling every place I'd gone the weekend before. And I finally called this one place. And they answered the phone. They're like, hello? I'm like, do you guys have a wallet? And they asked me my name. And then they started laughing. Oh, my goodness. Hello, Mr. Sincupo Sway. You know, um, we've been taking bets about if this person would ever come back for their wallet, etc., etc., etc. Now, I'm not saying I got super frantic on that last night, you know. Um, all right, it wasn't just that I had to pay for gas and I had to potentially buy my food. Um, it, it was that... I also realized I was just a few hours away from having to explain the situation to my wife. Now, let me make clear. I'm not saying I'm afraid of my wife <laughs> when I'm 300 miles away. What I am saying <laughs> is that I believe it's the moral will of God for me to love my wife like Christ loved the church. And I didn't want to stress her out. So I went into frantic mode and I finally found my wallet. But all I'm saying is do you really want to know God's specific will for your life though? I mean, do you really, really, though? Or do you have chefs? Do you have chauffeurs? Do you have your five-year plan situated? You know your major. You know what your job is. Your fridge is full of food. What do you need to know God's specific will for your life? You know what your plans look like. So maybe every now and then you might peer into, you know, one or two pockets in Scripture to see what he thinks about things. But other than that, you don't really want to know the will of God. You are set. Until maybe it's your senior year and you start to realize it's the last night, it's the 11th hour, boy, and I've no idea what my plans hold next year. And now I'm going to start to frantically call heaven and ask, have you seen your will, God? Because I haven't. I'd like a glimpse into what it is. I mean, do you really want to know his will until it's junior year in college and you realize you're not dating anyone? And then a chapel speaker comes and says, God wants you to get married young. And so you start freaking out like, ah! am I right or am I right? Yeah. Right? Then all of a sudden you're interested in God. What is your specific inside joke? Um, what is your specific will for my life? Do you really? Do you really, though? I fear and I wonder that most of us live in this luxury where our fridges are full, we have cars, we have plans, we know exactly what we're doing for a while. And so there is no crisis that's going to cause me to cry out to God and say, I want to know your will. So I'm just asking, do you really, though? Because one of the ways you know that you really want to know God's will is that you will seek him. You will want it. You will ask him. Look at this verse we looked at last week in Proverbs um, chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. It says in verse 5, and I love again the New Living Translation of this. It says, trust in the Lord 
with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Verse 6 says, and by the way, do not depend on your own understanding or your own chefs or your own chauffeurs or your own plans or your own. Verse 6, seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Come on. You don't really want it. If you did, you wouldn't just look for his will in a couple of compartments of your life and then be like, ah, his will will make itself clear at some point, whatever. I don't really need it right now. You would look for him, as it says here, in everything. And I think the way we live, you know, in our Cincinnati experience of life is we honestly start to ask questions like, you know, why would I seek God about my work day? I have worked this job for 20 years. Excuse me, God, but I know how to take care of it. So I don't need you in this. Why would I seek you? Why would I want your will for raising my kids when my kids are doing pretty good right now? There is no crisis in the home. Thank you, God. We have it handled. Why would I seek you about our guests who are coming over tomorrow night when we know exactly what we're going to make and we have plenty of food in the fridge? Why would we seek your will? We have chefs and we have chauffeurs. And yet, here it is. Seek his will in all you do. Want to know his will in every aspect of your life. You know what's really interesting, by the way? Um, Sometimes when people want to disprove um, this theology that I believe about the specific will of God, they will attempt to reduce this view to absurdity. And the way they reduce it to absurdity is by asking questions and, and kind of really just straw man arguments. And they start to, to get silly with it. And they'll say stuff like, come on, come on, Kondo. You really think God cares what shirt you chose to wear today? he happens to, I think he happens to like it, you know, uh, but these are the kinds of questions, like you really think he cares about your Cheerios, what you ate for breakfast, come on, man, and (laughs) you really think he cares what socks you wore or what socks you didn't wear, that's ridiculous, you've got to rethink this theology, and yet every time somebody asks me a question like that, it just sounds incriminating to them. And the reason it sounds incriminating to them is because they are saying to me, if we could unveil the depths of what they're communicating to me, they are saying to me, you really, really believe that God cares about the small and insignificant stuff in your life. And I say, yeah, I actually do. Because this verse we just read said, seek his will in all. All you do. Now, if there's any mystery in Hebrew, this idea of all you do means all you do. It it means in everything, which must mean God cares about everything. 
The only picture I've seen in the Bible of God is a God who apparently cares about every soul glow curly afro follicle on my head. He is a God who cares about, he knows every single split end that may or may not have fallen out of your hair while you brushed to look on point for the tailgate later on today. It says he numbers the hairs on your head. So think about what's happened. All of a sudden we say, come on, you think God cares about socks? And what we are ultimately saying is God doesn't care about the small stuff. And we've developed a crazy theology that has painted a picture of a God who doesn't get involved for anything less than cancer. Or maybe the occasional marital crisis. Then God will say, now I care. But your gluten-free Cheerios, he doesn't care about that. And because we've painted a picture of a God who doesn't care about the small things, we have now started to interact with a God only about the things we believe he cares about, which are only the big things. And so we read a passage that says, seek me in everything, and we think you can't mean that. Because we've developed a theology that has forgotten he is a father who cares about his kids. I mean, those of you who came from serving, thank you, by the way, in our kids' wing this last service. I mean, you can see the beauty of it because the kids in that wing are still naive enough to believe that we as adults care about every aspect of their life, and so they'll share it with you. Oh, my goodness, look at my boo-boo, and oh, my goodness, look at my skirt and the way it twirls when I turn. And then they get old enough and they realize, wait a minute, the grown-ups don't care about the small things. They only care about the big things. So stop sharing the small things. And then eventually we translate that theology to God. And God is saying, I want you to be kids again. Talk to me about everything. I am the father who cares about your boo-boos and about your broken heart. Talk to me. But we've developed a theology that says he doesn't care about socks. And I'm saying, I think he cares about socks. If for no other reason, because he was there when Nana gave those ugly things to you last Christmas. <laughs> if for no other reason, because he was there when you spent way too much money in those things at the mall while refusing to be generous to somebody on your way into the mall. I'm just saying, every pair of socks has a story. And God might care about it. You know another fascinating thing? Every now and then I'll wear some socks and somebody will say to me, nice socks. Where'd you get those? And a conversation starts over socks. I'm just telling you, we have made things insignificant. God hasn't. He wants us to invite him and involve him in everything. So do you really want to know his specific will because if you do you are going to seek him in everything is what this verse says you're going to seek him in everything and I wonder if for some of us this morning that isn't his fatherly invitation to us hey would you invite me back into those kid spaces would you invite me back into those small spaces that you've etched me out of would you please be reminded I care about every aspect of your life I care what you wear, if for no other reason, because I am the author of fashion. 
Remember that? Remember how Adam and Eve tried to make that ghetto cover-up situation? And God said, "Mm mm-mm, let me make y'all an outfit. He's the first fashion designer. And we somehow forgot that God is the one who invented food. Breakfast wasn't your idea. That was his idea. And then all of a sudden, we're saying, you don't care about what I eat? God is saying, no, I do care. I invented food. When we get to heaven, we're going to eat some serious food. I'll be the chef. And I wonder if he's not inviting us back into that place where we involve him in every aspect, in every area of our lives. And you might feel ridiculous starting out. Hey, God, thank you for these many lunch options here. At the tailgate, thank you for food and stuff. If there's anything you want me to know about your will at this lunch, would you please tell me? Um, Stop eating so much sugar. Okay, okay, fair point, you know. Um, Thanks for this car, God. I know I know how to drive, and so typically I don't involve you in my driving because I know how to drive and I know where I'm going, so I don't need you for that. But I'm going to pause now and say, if there's anything even in my driving you want to show me or reveal to me, would you please do that? And some of you remember our friend Emily who would tell stories about when she started to avail herself even in her driving and God would start to send her on detours where she would run into people and have these beautiful conversations with strangers simply because she just said, all right, I'm driving, anything you want me to know. Or one of your elders who was like, I was going on a walk. I know how to walk, and I know where I was going on my walk, but I decided to invite God into my walking. (laughs) I talked to him about it, and I remember this moment where he led me to a person who was sitting on a bench struggling through some heavy pieces of life and were able to process together. I'm not saying that's always how it's going to play out, but I am saying if we seek him in everything, he will start to show us his past. The question is, do you really want it, though, or do you have it covered? with your chefs, and with your chauffeurs. I wonder if there isn't an invitation to step back into. And I believe that as we start to include him in the many things, it becomes a habit by the time we get to the major things. Want his will enough. Start to seek him. Invite him. Church, I'm begging you. As ridiculous as it might feel, start to reinvite him into some of the small spaces and just ask him, do you have any thoughts about this? I don't know if he said anything. Oh, did it say anything? It's weird, man. I don't know what to do. Great. Start back. And it may feel like a kid learning to walk again. And your dad will love it. Want his will. Seek it consistently. Small things and big things. Um, Second thing, work his will. Work his will. Um, <clears throat> how many of you had uh, um, one of those crazy parents who made you finish your food? Like any, yeah, right? My kids better be putting their hands up um, because uh, I, I honestly swore that I would be a better version of a dad than my dad was and that I'd be super chill, you know, in the situation. And I'm not, I'm not. I'm that dad who's like, Finish the food on your plate. Drives my kids absolutely crazy. Um, but we do. We go through this process every now and then, you know, where it's, you know, it's one of those situations. Because I've known my kids um, 
all their lives. And so I know uh, how they can often get this really super schizophrenic appetite. And it looks something like this, I am so, so stuffed. I'm so stuffed at 6.30 p.m. And then at 6.42 p.m., I'm starving to death. And I'm the kind of dad who's like, oh, man, that's awesome. So anyway, that food we saved from dinner, just put it on a different plate and, and, and eat it, and you can call it a snack. Because that's what my kids really are saying. Like, I am, and they try to convince me of this. Like, no, 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 dad, <laughs> you, you can be stuffed from the salad and still be starving for the snack. You know, it's like you can be totally full from dinner, but, you know, you are totally, totally starving for a snack. And I'm like, oh. I don't buy that. Like, just reheat your dinner, put it on a different plate, and wash the first plate because it's dirty, you know. And it's not Cincinnati. People don't do that for you, you know. And then, to me, we'll, we'll go through this process. We'll have this conversation where it is no first finish your food. And honestly, I wonder if when it comes to his specific will, God doesn't often say that to his kids. I wonder if God's not that kind of father who, who says to us, hey, um... Finish your food. Now, that's confusing, but I'm going to explain it. And then all of a sudden, it's not going to be as confusing. At least I hope not. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices or as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is huge. And I am confident this is going to help somebody. What's Paul doing in this passage of scripture? He is sharing with us the sequence of discovering God's specific will. He's sharing this beautiful sequence that is powerful and so easy to miss. He says, hey, in view of God's mercy, and when he speaks about mercy, he's speaking about God's determination to rescue and redeem an undeserving people from their sins. He's speaking about the cross of Jesus Christ. In view of God's mercy, Jesus sacrificed at the cross to forgive you and cleanse you of all of your sins and invite you into his family forever and ever and ever. In view of that mercy, he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Give everything you are in response by obeying the things that God has commanded you. And in fact, it says, this just makes sense. He says, it's your proper worship. Uh, it's, it's your reasonable act of worship. It's your reasonable response in view of God's mercy, his work on the cross in Jesus Christ. Offer yourselves in obedience to him in everything. 
um, sequence. Ooh, that's a good sequence. And it's one, if I'm honest with you, I have missed for a lot of my life. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me say it again. In view of the cross, sovereign will. Because before the foundations of the earth, the lamb was slain. God has always had a cosmic scheme to redeem unworthy people from different tongues and tribes and races and bring them into one family forever in heaven. That was God's sovereign plan from the jump. Nothing was going to stop him from that. In view of the cross, God's sovereign will, offer yourselves in obedience to what he says, moral will, sequence. Then you will be able to understand his good and pleasing and perfect will, specific. In light of his sovereign will, obey his moral will and you will find yourself strangely able to better understand his specific will. There is a glorious sequence the Apostle Paul lays out for how we grow to understand the will of God. Here's the thing. We are super smart. And oftentimes when we go to God and we talk to God about his will, in those occasional moments when we do that, we are asking about his specific will. And here's how the conversation goes. God, I'm starving for your specific will. And God says, that's interesting. Because you have a plate full of my moral will that you've barely touched. No, it's not. We, we want the tastier treats. We want the snack of your specific will. We want to know when we're going to marry and who we're going to marry and where we're going to live and, and how much money are we going to make and how many trips are we going to take and, and what's our nest day going to look like and how am I going to impact the kingdom of God. And God is saying, I appreciate that, but first finish your food. Work my will. In other words, I have told you enough of my will for you to work on right now. And what we often say is, no, we're not interested in that. We want to know the fun stuff. And God says, follow the sequence. Work my will. Work the things I've told you. And I love what Paul says here. You cannot skip the sequence. That, by the way, church, is what was so important from week one that we laid out. Sovereign will, moral will, and specific will. And this is where I agree with my circle theology friends, for those of you who've been here for the series. You can never rush to obsessing with God's specific will while you ignore God's moral will. You're jumping the sequence. And God is the kind of father who says, finish what's on your plate. There is a sequence to be followed. And many of us would say, we want to know what God wants for our lives. And God will say, I've told you, serve my church. She is my son's bride, the love of his life. He came to die for her, and he's going to come back to take her to be with him forever and ever. Serve my church. And we'll say, I, I hear that, but I'm busy. I appreciate that she's the bride of Christ, but I'm busy. 
I'll tell you what, though, would you please tell me who my bride is going to be so I can serve her? And God says, follow the sequence. Follow the sequence. I want to know what is my kingdom going to look like and what's my career path going to be. I've given you gifts and I've called you to serve others in the body. Yeah, I hear that, God, but I just want to know what my career path is going to be. Follow the sequence. I wonder if for some of us that isn't the invitation that God is giving us. Because what we often do is we start to obsess with the obscure aspects of God's specific will. And we ignore the obvious aspects of God's moral will. And God is saying, I can see what you're doing. And by the way, if you will not obey the will that I've shown you clearly, in my word, what makes you think you are going to obey my specific will when I show that to you? I often think that, like, but if you show me this, your specific will, I'll do it. Hey, all right, great, Jonah. Go to Nineveh. Drop out of school. Sell everything you have and go across the ocean. Oh, no, 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 no. God knows if I'm not willing to obey the things he's told me, What makes me think I'm going to live in obedience to the things he reveals to me? Follow the sequence. And I may not know a lot about God's specific will, but I know enough of his moral will to get out of bed and to love my kids, even if I do it clumsily, even if I mess up, because I'm living in God's will. I don't know where I'll be living in six years, but right now I'm living in my parents' home, and so I'm going to honor my parents. That's what's on my plate. I may not know who my spouse is going to be in a number of years or, or, or anything like that, but I, I, I do know that, that how I'm using my Snapchat account is not awesome, and so I'm going to give my parents my real password for my real account. I don't know what my career is going to be. I know I'm in a job I don't particularly like right now. Um, but I know that God wants me to love my coworkers while I'm here. So I'm going to finish what's on my plate. I'm going to work his will. I don't know the specifics of my financial future, but I do know that God wants me out of debt. And so I'm going to sign up for the Financial Peace Connection Group. Um, I'm going to take a few less social outings at Starbucks. I know enough of his will to start to work it in that regard. I don't know how I'll know God's will ultimately, but I know that he wants my mind to be renewed. He wants my mind to be pure. And so I'm going to spend more time in the mind renewer than I do on my Instagram account. Work his will. Follow the sequence. Do the obvious. And Paul says the obscure will start to become clear. And finally, watch his will. Watch his will. Um, We will at 
um, man, a theme park with my kids not too long ago. And there was one situation at which I was like, honestly, maybe a football field away from them, but they were elevated so I could see them. Um, and they were starting to do things that weren't like 100%. So um, when I saw them, I gave, I'm not going to give it to all of you, but I gave them the Simfukwe whistle, which is super loud. I said, and you know, in the midst of all of these people, and I could see my kids, they turn around and they zone in and they see me, and I'm like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know, and so they come over, you know, um, and so I do, I still marvel at this, and I chuckle, you know, to myself a little bit, because in the midst of a crowd, in the midst of chaos, and in the midst of all kinds of drama, my kids can hear the Sinfukwe whistle and recognize it anyway, because they've heard it since they were kids. It is familiar to them. What Paul is saying is as you start to work his will and you start to obey his will and you start to seek God and invite him into everything and you start to be a kid again, he will reintroduce you or maybe introduce you for the first time to the unique sound of his whistle, to the unique sound of how he lets you in on his plans, how he lets you in on his path. And even in the midst of drama and even in the midst of chaos and even in the midst of confusion, you will be able to recognize Recognize God is illuminating that path. This is what God wants for me. And you are able to watch his will. You're able to see him make his will very clear. Romans 12 verse 2, the second part says, Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And I think, again, he's speaking about being able to recognize God's specific Will And then, by the way, you will be willing to do whatever it is he invites you into because you've lived a life of obedience and you've invited him into every area of your life. And now what you really want is what your father wants. What you really want is not just a fortune teller to tell you what you want. Now you want his will. Now you really want to know his will for your life. Not his will, for your life. And God will begin to illuminate the path. Some of us are missing God's adventure and his will because we're ignoring the will we already have. We want to recognize his voice, but we won't engage his word. We want his vision, but we won't turn off the screens and we won't turn down the noise enough to... Hear it. He wants us to know his will, church. The question is, do we want to know it? And are we seeking it? Are we working what he's already told us? What are the obvious things he might want you to do that maybe you've been disregarding? And by the way, special shout out to you college students who are even now taking steps to engage community and taking steps to engage as church in a crazy and confusing and chaotic, you know, the schedule's nuts, and yet you're saying he said something about his love for the church, and we wanted to plug in. Thank you to those of you who are connecting community, because it's not fun to get to know people, and for people to get to know you, that's not fun, that's not awesome. But he said, hey, I've called you to be part of a community, 
and you will thrive in community. Uh, people have often asked me, like, how did you know that you're supposed to be a pastor? I'm like, I didn't know. I didn't want to be a pastor. That wasn't the plan I set out for. But as I started to serve in the church, people started to surround me in community and started to affirm gifts and started to help confirm what the Lord was doing. I knew enough to know. I should be involved in this way. I should be serving in this way. I don't know those things. Those are obscure. But here are the obvious things that I ought to do. So kudos to you who are taking steps of courage to do the obvious. Watch out. The sound of his whistle might start to turn up. And the invitation into adventure might start to become louder. And you will find yourself making the most of the moments and milking the most out of this life. But for now... We eat and we party. So, Lord, I pray um, for just a clarity of your will. But we know that we have to follow your sequence. So, Holy Spirit, please give us the courage to say yes to the things that you've commanded us. Please give us the courage to seek you in every aspect of our lives. May we yield everything we are to you. And may you show everything you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.